Hello. Welcome to episode four of the audio podcast, The Holocaust in Hungary. Subtitle, It Can Happen Here. Where we left off in chapter three, approximately 19,000 Jews and non-Jews were killed in the previous episode. Picking up from here, in September 1941, we had to drive through the city of Wenyika, which was Hitler's headquarters for a while. For a couple days, we had to wait for the supply convoy outside the city. We were talking to some of the Wehrmacht troops when we learned that on September 8th, which was the following day, Hungarian Regent von Horthy will arrive to have a meeting with Hitler personally. He will also take some time to address the Hungarian troops. After the Regent's short, short speech, the German soldiers gathered in the marketplace. When Hitler stepped up on the podium, you could not have been able to hear if a bomb exploded next to you. It was the first and last time I saw Hitler in person and heard him talking to his soldiers. While I was in school in the mid-30s in Hungary, we learned about Hitler, that he is an insane monster and everybody hates him. When I heard him talking to his soldiers, I had to admit that I was really surprised. You either believe it or not, but I have to say that he had the most magnetic personality I ever saw before or after. His method of speaking grabbed the people's attention more than a seven-headed dragon ever would. He made fanatics out of the people and made them scream like a crazy lynch mob. After I was listening to his speech, I started to understand how and why he was able to influence the German people to follow his ideology, whether he was right or wrong. Editor's note here, in the previous episode, I mentioned that some of those people, the 20,000, were rounded up by the Hungarian gendarmes, not by the Germans. But back to the story. In a few days, all the excitement was over, and we continued moving supplies to the front line. Back and again. By the end of October 41, we had advanced to the Donyek River. The loss of troops on the Hungarian side was not substantial, but the equipment and other material losses were bad. Due to the shortage of firearms, ammunition, etc., the whole division dug in for defense. After a while, the rumors started to go around that due to the agreement between Hitler and the Hungarian Regent von Horthy, we will pull out of the war next week and go back home. The agreement between them was real, only the timing was wrong. The pullout from the war did not happen as soon as we were hoping. We were fighting another two months or more in very cold winter. Finally, in the beginning of January 1942, the pullout started. By the third week in January, we were back on Hungarian soil again. My unit was temporarily discharged, but on alert for further notice. It meant that we could be called back to active duty at any minute. We were away from home for seven months to fight communism, and during that time, big changes occurred in the whole country. I failed to mention the subtitle of this section is called More Involvement in the War. Continuing, the first thing I learned was that England declared war against Hungary. Churchill was hesitating for a long time because he knew the situation between Hungary and Germany. He knew that Regent von Horthy had to accept Hitler's request to participate in the war against Russia. Otherwise, Hungary would be taken over by the Nazis, just like Poland was. England and Hungary always had good relationship in the past, and Churchill, one of the biggest politicians of his time, did not want to throw the friendship away so easily. 
But Stalin signed the treaty with England and before, and now he was demanding that England declare war against all those countries. Helping Germany in the war against Russia. Churchill had no choice. Officially, he declared war against Hungary on December 7, 1941. Editors note, no wonder the Americans didn't notice. That was the day Japan invaded us. Shortly after that, on December 12th of the same year, the Hungarian government officially declared war against the United States. That was the biggest mistake of Prime Minister Bardosi. But since he was poisoned by the Nazi ideology and his own stupidity, he wanted to prove to Hitler that Hungary was on the German side. With this move, Hungary officially became an ally to Germany to wage war against the Western powers. The other surprise was a very sad story, the liquidation of the Communist Party and its members in recently gained territory in Yugoslavia. To liquidate the Communist Party following the existing law would require closing all Communist headquarters and meeting halls and declaring that any activity of the party would be illegal and punished by law. But it didn't happen that way. After this so-called Juvidek, and I apologize for my pronunciation, I'm not Hungarian speaker, I'm not an authority on these names. After the so-called Juvidek was taken back by Hungary on April 14 of 1941, the minority of the population, and here he uses the word Yugoslav, I'm not sure if that's a Hungarian translation of Yugoslav, but I'll use it as he wrote it. The Yugoslav party started to sabotage all the rules and laws and wanted to take control. The situation was getting out of hand. During the winter, Prime Minister Bardosi and the internal minister, with the acknowledgement of the Regent von Horthy, declared a state of emergency in that part of the country. They wanted to stop the communist activity right now before it got worse. Several high-ranking military personnel were given the authority to stop and liquidate the unwanted elements. These officers, Staff Colonel Ferenc Zambathelier and General Ferenc, I can't even pronounce this name, I apologize, C-Z-E-Y-D-N-E-R, that was the last name, were followers who were and were poisoned by the Nazi ideology already. They ordered one battalion to make all the necessary steps to meet their orders. Under the state of emergency law, every communist Chetnik or other person who undermined the government was ordered shot to death by firing squad. But these highly trusted, high-ranking officers did not follow the law. They took justice into their own hands. The members of the battalion were killing anyone they thought was guilty. People who did not like their neighbors reported to the military authority, quote, my neighbor is a communist, unquote. And that was enough. No judge, no jury, no trial. Over 3,300 people, hundreds and hundreds of them innocent, were brutally massacred. Most of them were Serbs, but about 700 Jews, Germans, and Hungarians were killed also. That horrible event could not be silenced. In Switzerland, though the inf through the information from a Hungarian source, Andre, the newspapers were describing in detail the brutality of the Hungarian military. The newspapers and radios in the rest of the neutral countries were blasting the case wide open. Here another name I can't pronounce. I'll start with Andrei Zestinki, 
wrote a letter to the Regent von Horthy to let him know what happened and was demanding the punishment for the guilty. According to Regent von Horthy's statement, he did not know about the brutal, brutal and unforgivable action of the military until he got the information from Switzerland. After the uproar in the newspapers of the foreign countries, Prime Minister Bardosi requested the Parliament order the top military authorities to investigate the case. To request the military to investigate a crime which was committed by the military personnel is just like when a policeman kills an innocent person and his department in investigates the matter. And imagine, this was written in 1996. George already had an opinion about American police over, overdoing it. It is almost 100% certain that the killing will be found justified and his name will be cleared. The same thing happened in Hungary. The military investigators did not show too much enthusiasm to find the guilty ones. In fact, some of them were promoted after a while. The Regent von Horthy didn't like the Prime Minister's activities because he was doing everything behind the Regent's back. He tried to introduce a bill to the Parliament about the new Jewish restriction law without even informing him that he had made commitments to Hitler and without his approval. Disagreement over several other matters made von Horthy force Prime Minister Bardosi to resign. He left office on March 8, 1942, and the next day Miklos Calais, K-A-L-L-A-Y, became the new Prime Minister. The new Prime Minister did not believe in anti-Semitism. He did not want to bring more restricting laws against the Jews and did not want the country to get involved deeper in the war. And while in office about two years, he tried to distance himself from the Nazi ideology and Hitler's influence. But his efforts to do these things did not bring any more results. After he took office, he did not pay too much attention to the case that accused some high-ranking officers of participating in the massacre that happened in southern Hungary. But in 1943, because of pressure from the opposition party in Parliament, he was forced to renew the case and get the guilty ones convicted. The military court finally stepped into action again. Most of those who participated in the killings were brought to court. There were several officers in higher ranks and two generals involved. By the end of the trial, several of the officers were expected to receive long prison sentences. But before the sentencing, the top criminals escaped with the help of the Nazis from Hungary and were hiding out in Germany. They returned to Hungary again when the German military took over power in Hungary later. Before Calais became Prime Minister in the beginning of January 1942, the German Foreign Minister, Joachim Ribbentrop, paid a visit to the Regent von Horthy and the Parliament. Shortly after his visit, the head of the Wehrmacht, General Keitel, joined him in the Parliament. They were presenting Hitler's request how Hungary was supposed to participate in the summer offense on the Eastern Front against the Russians. Hitler requested 25 divisions, 20 for the summer defense on the Russian Front and five as an occupational force in, in Ukraine. Hungary did not have that many available troops. After reasoning and fighting for a long time, the top military leaders and the German representative came to a solution which was acceptable to both sides. From the Hungarian side, Trying to lessen Hitler's request was a must, because Hungary did not have enough manpower, firearms, war machinery, and everything else that was needed to wage a war. The Hungarian defense minister and the top military officers 
offered 10 divisions to the front line to fight against the Red Army and five divisions for occupational forces in Ukraine. The front divisions would be mixed with the Wehrmacht troops and the troops and their commanding officers would be under German order. Although the German and Hungarian top command had separate headquarters, the orders would always come from the German side. The Hungarian headquarters was more like an information bureau. The top commanding officer for the second Hungarian army was Staff General Gustav Jani, J-A-N-Y. If the regent and prime minister did not obey Hitler's request, that would break the connection between Berlin and Budapest. The territorial revisions about Transylvania was still not completed yet, and by denying Hitler's demands, Hungary would lose again. The other reason why it was absolutely necessary to send military forces to the Eastern Front was that in case of refusing Hitler's demand, he would not hesitate to take over Hungary by military force. The next section is subtitled The Death Sentence of the Second Hungarian Army. The setup of 10 divisions for transportation started without delay. Draft notices were sent out all over the country. Due to the limited time, recruits were given only a short basic training and very little extra. The transportation of the 2nd Hungarian Army started in April 1942 and was completed by July of that year. It was accomplished by rail railways and trucks and the last 10 to 15 kilometers was marched on foot. By the end of July 1942, the 2nd Hungarian Army consisted of 210,000 soldiers, including officers, plus about 45,000 persons on labor duty who took positions alongside the western bank of the Don River. The front line held by the German divisions was about 210 kilometers long. The 45,000 people on labor duty consisted mostly of Jews and some unwanted and untrusted persons who were not accepted for military duties. They were divided between the divisions. They had no firearms and were also under German command. They were digging the ditches in the front line for the fighting troops and unloading trucks and cleaning up for the field hospitals, the kitchens, etc. They were hard-working people, but they did not get the full ration of food, only 75% of it. Due to hard work, not enough food, very little rest, and abuse by the Germans and others, a large number of them died before the minus 35 Celsius killer winter started. The way these people were treated was plainly humiliating. I don't want to bring back all the events of the war. I would just like to mention a few episodes which show some people's inhuman behavior while they were fighting a war. Since the German soldiers knew very well that most of the labor force was made up of Jews and they had to obey their orders, they took advantage of that all the time. On one occasion a Jewish boy was ordered to clean the boots of a German captain. The captain didn't like the way it was done so he spat on it and told the boy to lick his boots. The boy, about 19 years old, refused to do it. In response, the captain pulled out his luger and shot the boy in the leg. That was the way, Nazi way of showing their superiority. Nobody was complaining or did anything about it. Just like a natural thing that happened, and everybody accepted it. Later on, toward the end of October 1942, while the Germans were still gaining territories from the Russians, with the help of the Hungarian and Italian military, about four to five hundred Russian soldiers were captured by the Hungarian troops. Since they were moving forwards, fighting their way deeper into Russian territory, 
they turned the POWs over to a German Oberlieutenant to take them behind the front line. He and two dozen soldiers with machine guns escorted these captives back about five kilometers from the front lines. Then they massacred all of them with the machine guns and threw their bodies in a pile and set fire to them. There were hundreds of cases when the Nazis broke every international law without any hesitation. The Russians did not stay too far behind the Nazis in practicing brutality, though. Toward the end of 1942, it, there was very heavy fighting north of Varanyes in the forest of Bryansk. Some German and two Hungarian divisions were trying to push the Russian partisans out of the part, that part of the forest. The situation was very dangerous because the partisans in some places had infiltrated behind the front lines and caused heavy damage to the troops. Prisoners were taken on both sides, and one day just before dawn, our patrol of three men came back to make their report. They had found out about the enemy's movements, but all three looked terrified, and one of them who had black hair before they left came back with perfectly white hair. Then they told what they had seen. The partisans gained some territory temporarily and took some prisoners too. They were celebrating their victory by getting drunk. The patrol saw a couple dozen German soldiers buried in the ground so only their chest and head was visible. The Russian partisans were spitting at them, dancing around them, and screaming like wild Indians. After a while they put the German helmet hat on their heads and then a light tank pulled up and drove over the bodies of the halfway buried soldiers. The begging and screaming filled the air, but nothing could stop those savages from carrying out their brutal execution. Witnessing that kind of terror turned the hair white for one of the patrols. I've never seen anything like that before or after. The next day, the order came out to pull back 10 kilometers, Germans and all the rest of the forces included. It took about half a day to comply with the order. A few hours later, another order said to move forwards again. When we reached our former position and passed through it, we got the biggest surprise. We did not have any resistance. Then a couple hundred meters ahead of us, we saw the first Russian partisans, leaning against trees but not moving. As we moved closer, there were more of them, most of them laying on the ground holding their rifles. There were about 200 of them, all dead. There was no sign of any injury, but their eyes were covered with blood. Later on, word came around which explained what we saw there. The German Air Force was launching an air raid over that part of the forest, and that was the reason we had to pull back. They dropped something called oxygen bombs, which were effective only in a relatively small area, and it made the tiny blood vessels burst in your body. And you were dead before you realized what happened. It caused no suffering, but instant death. It is a terrible weapon, and even nowadays, most of the nations, small and large, talk about peace, but they're using the most advanced technology to produce more and more horrible weapons for only one purpose, to kill each other. In November 1942, the German military with the forces of the satellite nations were moving forward rapidly. By the end of 1942, a few divisions had crossed the Don River. The German military was getting ready for the big eastern offensive. That was Hitler's dream and order, but it never materialized. After Field Marshal Friedrich Paulus was defeated and captured at Stalingrad on January 3rd, the German military lost over a million in manpower. 
and tremendous losses in military machinery. Hitler's offensive plans were defeated and the Red Army started a counterattack. The Russians planned to form a circle around the entire 210 kilometer front line and destroy the German and all the Allied forces or make them surrender. The German, Italian, and Hungarian militaries were attacked from three sides. By the middle of February 1943, the losses in manpower, tanks, and other war material were so terrible that it made it impossible for the second Hungarian army to defend itself. Due to the bitterly cold weather at minus 35 C, which is pretty close to that in minus Fahrenheit as well, the machine guns were frozen, the rifles did not work, and there was no ammunition left anyhow. The death sentence of the second Hungarian army, which was known before they left home, suddenly became a reality. About 150,000 troops, including officers and members of the labor battalions, were killed by the Red Army. It was not an organized retreat either by the German or other military forces. Everyone ran as fast as they could just to save their lives. The communists did not take German prisoners. If it was a matter of a few hundred, they killed them with machine guns as soon as they were captured. They let the Hungarians and other nationality troops go free if they put their firearms down. If they refused to do so, they were shot to death too. The whole Eastern Front was a big bloody chaos. Soldiers and generals were running side by side, 90% of them on foot. Some people tried to help others, but most of them were concerned about saving their own lives. There were only a few vehicles on the roads or horses pulling sleds. These vehicles were filled up with sick or wounded soldiers unable to walk. In several cases, we witnessed the Nazis' imperious brutality, even in these crucial times. The temperature then was minus 30 Celsius, and we saw frozen bodies along the roads by the dozens. But you had to keep going. If you sat down or fell asleep, you would have been frozen stiff in two hours. One day, a German unit of three military vans caught up with us and stopped us with machine gun force. They threw out 16 wounded soldiers from our hospital vehicle on top of the frozen snow. They took two trucks and left one van for us without fuel. That meant certain death for the 16 wounded soldiers who had helped them fight their war. All 16 were dead in four days. A couple days after that, a German general staff on the run took two sleds from us, which carried four wounded soldiers. The general and his staff got on the sleds, and their soldiers were pulling them. I could cite dozens of occasions when the Nazis used human, inhuman actions against their own partners. By the middle of July 1943, most of the remaining troops who survived the Red Army, the Nazi brutality, and the killing cold winter in Russia were returned to Hungary. Again, this is a documentary written by my father-in-law, Mr. George Hidvegi, in the late 90s about his experiences during the Holocaust and World War II as a young soldier.